Welcome to the Shark Pod, the podcast that explores business and lifestyle design in Ireland and beyond. And now, live from Greystone Studios, here are your hosts, Luke Curry and Mark Baker. Welcome to another episode of the Shark Pod. What is up, Shark Nation? I've got Mark Baker out there and Glenn Aguirre. How's it going, Mark? I'm good, Luke. How are you? I'm I'm delighted. I've got Paddy Finn on the line here. Um, I believe he's down in Limerick. How's it going, Paddy? Hi, Luke. How are you getting on? Thanks very much for having me on. I'm actually just about 20 minutes outside of Limerick in a little village called Balanay in County Tipperary. Okay, Balanay. Because I saw I saw that the the company uh, Viotis was in um, was in Castle Troy. Is that right? Yeah, in Castle Troy. So yeah. the the company is just beside near UL actually. So if you're familiar with Limerick at all, it's very near UL. And uh, so then I, I, where I live is, yeah, as I said, about twenty minutes out. It's a, kind of a, a twin village of Killaloo and Balna. Okay. Now, normally when people ask me where I live, I normally say Killaloo because if you say Balna, everyone assumes Mayo, and that's yeah. a very long commute. Um, but no, it's Balna, County Tipperary, on the uh, shores of Loch Derg. Lovely. What a lovely place to, to be based. Um, yeah, because when I saw Castle Troy, one of our good friends of the uh, the podcast, uh, Michael Houghton, lives out there. He has his own podcast. It's called The, the Fire, uh, the Irish Fire podcast that he's shutting down, which is uh, breaking everyone's heart in that kind of community. But uh, if Michael, if you're listening, give it give it another little go there. We all love the content. Um, but Paddy, thanks very much for coming on the, the line. We were chatting before we, um, before we got going here today. We're talking about all things green energy. Me and Mark right now, we're on a kind of a kind of a, a bit of a revolution when it comes to how we are thinking around green energy and um you know just the environment generally i've been reading a lot of books lately around that um and we kind of like i was saying before we kind of go on these sprints where we'll have a few people on from a different industry uh, and i mentioned to you that we had a lot of bitcoiner guys on um and you were talking about something so we'll get we'll get into the uh, into your business and all that type of stuff but what's got like Tell the people out there what what does it cost the Earth to have one of these bitcoins on your uh, in your wallet? What's going on there? So, an inherent function of a bitcoin is um, that it uh, as more servers start start processing, start mining, start uh, start computing, uh, start solving hashes for transactions. Um, what they do is they, they they keep increasing the complexity of the of, of the function, right? So basically, what they want to say is, no matter how much computing power is thrown at it, it takes about ten minutes to compute, right? So that means that um, as time goes on, it effectively just takes more energy to do it because you're basically saying, okay, there's more computation power, and that's going to take ten minutes. So you're running more power for longer, and then if there's more added, it takes longer again. So to mine a Registat recently, so to mine a Bitcoin uh, consumes as much energy as your typical U.S. home consumes in nine years, right? And, you know, it's, this is to the benefit of very few people, right? So uh, Bitcoin now, um, Bitcoin mining now consumes more energy than the country of Sweden. And, you know, I think I, I think if I ask, if I ask, um you know, not just my mother, but my brothers and sisters and my family. Um, what does Sweden offer to you? They'll say they have fantastic flat pack furniture and uh, yeah, very stuff, safe yeah. cars and, you know, um, <laughs> and, and, and Ava and everything else that Sweden offers. And I say, okay, cool. And what does Bitcoin offer to uh, enhance your life? They go, I don't know. I'm pretty sure somebody out there seems to be making something out of it, but it doesn't enhance society in general, right? So, um, but also it's like that, to even that's the mining of Bitcoin, but to complete a transaction um, uh, consumes just shy of a megawatt hour of electricity. And that's nearly half a ton of carbon, depending on where you are. And that's a lot, most of this is done in China, right? Even though they outlawed it in China, it's really still been done in China, but it's just kind of VPNing back back in through, let's say, from through Irish data centers and stuff, right? Um, uh, so that's coal driven. So actually, you're probably closer to a ton of carbon for a transaction. So uh, if, if you contrast that to a MasterCard tapping your card, um, it's 1.6 million times more energy uh, to complete a Bitcoin transaction than a MasterCard transaction. And, and for what? Like, you know, so, um, it, and the, the power that's just going to keep growing. It's actually just, it's, you know, you can, you, with a lot of things you can say, oh, let's make it more efficient. But it's actually inherent in Bitcoin that it consumes more energy over time. 
this is an incredible thing that never really comes up when we're talking mm. to the Bitcoin people because when you're talking about millions of X or you know over a million X, um, the amount of carbon per uh, transaction. Think about the amount of transactions that happen on a daily basis through the Mastercard and Visa system. I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. And I, re- I remember reading an, an interesting paper a few years ago, and I was kind of just talking about the fallacy of um, of you know let's say Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. Now, there are other methods, actually. You know, there are, uh, um, you know, uh, proof of stake is an alternative way of, of, of kind of um, or approaching a cryptocurrency, which is, which is uh, you know, much more energy efficient. But um, with the likes of Bitcoin, you know, they, uh, you know, we're taking power from the man and returning it to the people. We're taking the power from the banks, you know. And that was, that was actually really being lived out when it was a bunch of, like, desktop computers doing the solving. And then you end up returning the, the power back to central uh, to central uh, entities who are the basically the entities that are doing the the the, the uh, that have the data centers that are doing the solving of the hashes. So you end up just returning it back. In fact, you not only return it back, but it's not even your Bank of Ireland. It's now it might as well be you know, it's it's Bank of Crypto China because seventy five percent of this has been done there. So it just seems like a kind of a, a you know in contrast to the um, like I would definitely know you know. Um, uh, people, uh, you know, some people who are into Bitcoin who be kind of like, you know, hemp wearing promoters of uh, of environmentalism um, <laughs> on one side, but uh, because they don't actually see the direct impact of what they're doing, um, uh, you know, they, they they don't count seem to count this towards their carbon budgets. So what what is the long term? Like it's only it's only seems to be going one way. You know the growth of cryptocurrency. What what's the long term effects of that? Has someone calculated what that's going to look like if it doesn't stop? Yeah, it's it's like it's enormous. But I think that you know I I think that the likes of this is going to put a move towards um, other types of cryptocurrencies. Really, that's probably you're looking at the kind of proof of stake, which is less computationally intensive because you know the the whole um, uh, you know the whole cryptocurrency and blockchain uh, concept is you know it, it's it is indeed very good like you know um, in, in theory in that regard but just how it's done is is quite different but um i guess as well uh, i i'd only suspect that countries would look to ban it like if china who i would have imagined if anyone's going to embrace something like that they possibly would have but if they are looking at it and saying here's the cost but what's the benefit yeah. And they and they seek at least try to ban it, um, then you'd anticipate that that's just, uh, you know, a mark for the future. Especially because they, they're kind of working on their own own little uh, cryptocurrency as well. They kind of like mm. they, they've got I've, I've got, you know, in some ways, this is obviously things that I, I don't like about the, uh, the the Chinese government. But there are some things where they if they do see a problem, they do act on it. You know, yeah, really yeah, think yeah. And a long term thing. So. Like they it, really do. We talked about it earlier, where earlier this year, where they just banned private education companies or whatever, and mm. a hundred billion dollar industry turned off because it was just getting absolutely. Out and and yeah. influencers are finding themselves mm. a, a little bit uh, out and unsupported as well. But again, look, my my is in you know, it's not that I have an issue with cryptocurrencies whatsoever. It's just that type, uh, you know, and uh, and also if you look at it. Bitcoin is the worst of them uh, in this regard, but it's the worst of them because, as I said, it's a function of how many servers are taking part in this. So the other ones would, uh, there's uh, ones following behind that would could potentially be just as bad if there were as many people actually participating in those uh, in mining those coins. It's it's such an interest. So let's let's kind of okay. Let's park the Bitcoin. Uh, we could go down a, like a rabbit hole, and and Paddy, me and Mark will go down there with you. You know, we'll we'll dig in deep. We'll go down a mine. Yeah, go down a mine. What's <laughs> so, uh, Viotis? What's the just for the the people out there listening? Um, the company Viotis, yeah, your CEO, founder of that. What's the mm-hmm. what? Is, how would you describe that uh, that company to people? Okay, so what look what we do is. In short, we build power stations without building power stations. Um, so we use electricity customers, and we try to use how, uh, electricity customers' ability to be flexible with how they use power uh, to effectively emulate the actions of a power station on the grid. Right. So uh, it kind of lets us an analogy for what may happen. Right. Will be a um, so Luke and Mark, you guys come home in the evening and you start cooking with your totally electrified house and uh, you start using a little bit more electricity 
while the power system is like this perfect just-in-time delivery system. So at the exact time you start using more power, typically a power station will increase its output by the exact same amount. Somewhere in the country, there's an increased rate, and it keeps it all perfectly in balance. Well, and so then you pay your electricity bill and you pay the power station for the power, that power it produced for you. Well, an alternative is that uh, you guys come home and start cooking, and instead of uh, turning on more power from a power station, we shut off the fridges in the local supermarket, right? So the power that they were using, now you can use it instead. So they re they reduce what they're using by an equivalent amount. You start using it. And then uh, when you're finished, the fridges turn back on. And that means then that you got to cook and the power station didn't have to increase its output. And instead of you paying the power station, you pay the fridge for having turned off, not even for doing something for really just for turning off. So we, what we do is we do this. It's not with fridges in, in supermarkets, really. It's with like, um, you know, large chillers and biomedical and pharmaceutical plants and cold storage warehouses. It's the crushers and cement factories and all this. So when we add up, let's say in, in Ireland, um, the total amount of this that we uh, can control um, would put us uh, put us as being bigger than uh, Shannon Bridge Power Plant, which used power station, which was the biggest peat burning power station in the country, and we're effectively bigger than it. But we've never had to actually build a power station. And the thing with a power station, particularly in the way we get used, which is we get used to meet like peak demands and stuff, and like we were at the moment we're getting called multiple times a week, and our customers are delivering on that. Um, uh, the the way we get used helps to actually avoid building power plants that are often only used for a few hours a year, and they're power plants that are used some years and not other years. So you know you could be talking maybe you know 180, 200 million investment in a in a, in a power plant to meet that. Um, that need just that few hours a year, a few days, every few years it could be. And uh, also, if you look at back to the carbon emissions, right, um, and the use of resources, you have used all of those resources and all of those materials that it takes to build a power plant um, for something that's going to be used so little, right? And you've also, obviously, all of the... Uh, that production has huge carbon intensity as, as well. So we're saying as well, what you have on the other side, you have electricity customers. Using those um, uh, can help to avoid this. And um, I suppose just to kind of in, in a little more detail where we are particularly strong is we develop, we can develop technology, hardware that controls this from, from printed circuit board up, right? And like we're not just energy nerds, we're electrical nerds, we're all over this, right? And uh, so we develop systems that make this really super fast, right? So like, an example would be that we we help to balance the power grid if there's a, like a trip in a power station. So a power station disappears off, as actually happened with two power plants last Monday week. And is instead of just power stations trying to ramp up to compensate for the guys that are lost, what we can do is we can actually try to reduce demand on the other side super quickly to try to help balance the grid. So uh, two uh, sorry, last Monday week when a power station in Cork tripped, and I say one of our sites, there's a number of our sites actually immediately responded, but just by case in point, the, um, a cement factory in Cavan was... It's, it's process, it's mills were shut off 60 milliseconds later, right? So 60 thousands of a second after a trip in Cork, the opposite end of the country, uh, about, um, I think maybe, you know, there could have been maybe six to 10 megawatts of power and just one site off the grid. And that, so that site in um, in uh, in Cavan, uh, in this example, they would kind of get like a, some uh, kind of an incentive for, for participating yeah. in that is that how that works so they're yeah yeah absolutely so well, it's not actually when they're used that we pay them we pay them all the time for being on standby to be used ah, okay yeah and, th and then so you use that and then so the customer is the grid then in, in that case like yeah so our customer is the grid so our like ireland as with as with a lot of electricity mark uh systems uh it's it's actually a wholesale electricity market so a lot of people possibly wouldn't be aware of this, um, is that um, all power stations and wind farms and all electricity producers sell into a wholesale market and all suppliers buy out of that wholesale market at, the, at effectively at the same price. So the price is dictated um, at any point in the day, depending on how expensive a plant is needed on the system to meet, to meet, the, to meet the energy needs. 
it really sounds like a system that should be there. <laughs> like it's almost like a, a collective system that should be there anyway, but you guys kind of stepped in and kind of made that happen. Is, 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 yeah. this, is this like a, an innovation that was being used other in other countries or something like that? Is yeah, that yeah. So like, first of all, the wholesale market is there and we are just a participant that sells into it along with other participants. In the same way as you guys could go and set up a supply company, right? Um, you could go and register a supply company if you wanted to. I wouldn't advise you to. Um, uh, it's a pain, um, but, uh, you know, it is indeed possible. It's all very, it's all quite accessible. Um, so what we do in terms of with, the, with demand response, like this was my this is my research subject for my PhD and stuff like this. this is a reasonably well-trodden area. Um, and we are one of 10 doing this in Ireland. Um, so um, we're the best. Um, but uh, um, we started in, so we started in 2014. And I know I certainly would attest that we were very, we were very strong in, in contrast to our, to our, um, to the competition. Um, and particularly that stems from our, I guess, our regulatory expertise and our technical expertise. But when we started, you know, there was, um, this is done by the likes of, you know, Energia, Electric Ireland and companies like that. And you were kind of very much getting into big boys territory, right? And we were starting out and there was four of us sharing a three meter by three meter office in Limerick, right? So, um, uh, you know, classic, just get started, try to get something done here, try to build some capability, try to build, like write some software, build some hardware and that. And, but we definitely had the confidence that the bar was reasonably low in terms of the tech capability that was out there and what was actually being, being done. Um, so of course, you know, we came into the market very, um, we, we were the lowly uh, newest entrant and, and so forth. But we, um, we very much, we really then established our, our position and we grew and we grew and um by 2017 we were the second the second largest in in the country and as of october now we make more demand response capability available to the market more than anybody else in fact a third of all of this demand response capability that's provided to the market in ireland comes from us wow what a journey it's only been a few, like i guess well about seven years or so. Uh, seven years, but um, I suppose a lot of that is kind of a lot of um, a lot of regulatory bureaucracy that you have to deal with as well, and uh, and, to, and to grow. But in like during during COVID, we've we've grown during that period here. And um, like when we started, when we kind of came into lockdown, we were twenty seven people, and now we're about eighty. Wow. We've, during lockdown, we've set up an operation in Australia. So wow. we have a team in Australia. We've set up an R and D office in Poland, and we're about to roll into uh, into Texas now. By the uh, just at the start of next year, the end of this year, start of next year, and um, and another another seven markets to follow. Wow! Like I wonder, do you know the the COVID part? And I've spoken to a good few entrepreneurs on this um, on this podcast about. Uh, some of the international moves that they made uh, during um, the COVID stuff. And so sometimes it seems like um, it kind of made people think way more international because they're saying, okay, if everything's online anyway, what's the story over there in Texas? You know, or do you know, it kind of, it, some of the uh, companies that we've talked to have worked in Ireland exclusively for 20 years and now they're only really looking at other places. Or we had, um, uh, we had somebody on who organizes um, large events and, they weren't allowed here in Ireland, so and uh, now he's in Australia, uh, America, Dubai. You know, he never really thought about that. Yeah. And then he's just like, you know, yeah. I don't really have a, uh, you know, there's no barrier as I thought there might be. You know, yeah, it's like gas. It, it is extraordinary, and like for us, actually, our growth, we don't have enough seats in our office for the people we have employed. So you know, that's that really actually helped us. I know we're looking for property, and we can't find we can't find property. But the fact is now that the team are coming back and telling us that they only want to spend a day or two a week in the office. So you only need half a seat per person. And uh, and in terms of like prior right prior to lockdown, myself and my my wife and I, uh, Deborah and I were were actually going to go to Australia. I was you know we we're going to go. I was going to go down for three months to get things set up. And then, of course, a lockdown hit. We didn't get to go to Australia. And look, this was going to be, a, as, as well as everything else, a nice kind of little adventure for us and that. Yeah. And, um, but uh, I suppose in the absence of being able to get down, um, we had, fortunately, myself and Duncan, my business partner, Duncan, um, we had the October prior to 
uh, prior to lockdown, we had visited um, uh, visited Sydney and Melbourne. We had made some really good contacts down there. Uh, so, you know, we leveraged those. And, uh, you know, actually, one, it was a person that we happened to meet at that stage. We were like, they would make a very good CEO of our, uh, of our new venture down there. So uh, hired him, set up the company remotely, did a lot of FedExing over and back of signed documents. Wow. And, uh, and then just kind of put the, put the resources behind him to hire his team. That's so exciting. Like, it's such a big world when you think about the opportunities all over the place. Like Ireland, you know, it's where it's a great, I think it's a great place to live and do business and all that great stuff. But it's, uh, it is very small, you know, so if you can, if you can build, you know, a base here that's successful and then you can apply that to different markets, why not? You know? Yeah. But like, hit the point in terms of Ireland, like Ireland is a really good place to do business, you know, and Irish people are really good people to do business with as well. Um, I really find and that I, I find that here um, people want to get things done, you know, and what they're trying yeah, and you can bring yourself to the same side of the table as a, as a, as a person very quickly, you know, but where if there's something that you want and there's something, somebody that you want it from, and then what you do is you, if you focus on what's the, what's the obstacle for them giving it to you and that's what yeah. you focus on, then the two of you are at the same side of the table child uh, you're dealing with the same problem because you're trying to basically relieve that obstacle i think the irish are pretty good at that you know yeah. um and, and and trying to move things forward it's it's part of my own strategy so i work with partnerships like uh international partnerships for a software company and we like we work with really big companies like we're talking hundreds of thousands of employees you know uh companies mm. and that's that's great that looks that's really great on on paper as well as you know it's kind of a long-term play you need to be in that space fine yeah. I also uh, am targeting kind of you know, a thousand or under a thousand employee partners uh, based in Ireland uh, because I feel like, like I said, I can I can get I can basically if if there is an issue I can actually go t- to the pub with them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, can yeah. work things out way quicker um, than some of the big bureaucracy ones, and uh, I just think that uh, you know, from a, a doing business. Uh, point of view i think it's really good as well but um so with the it, what's what's attractive about australia other than it's a bit of an adventure and stuff like that is it very similar to ireland when it comes to that kind of wholesale market is it is it something you can just roll out there pretty easy so uh, with, with what we do right um uh we can't just rock up anywhere like you know you can probably rock up anywhere in the world with cans of guinness and sell cans of guinness right or bottles of gin and sell bottles of gin um but uh the regulatory landscape has to be just right for us you know um uh so um but we also would actually in advance even have gone into markets we would start engaging with regulators to even try to shape some shape the regulation somewhat that's what we've done a lot here is actually shape the regulation um to support demand response rather than like i i, I kind of you know I would say that when we design technology and services, we design them to try to address power system needs, not to avail of market opportunities. So we're trying to address and serve a power system need that's either now or that we foresee in the future, because if it's a, if it's a, if it's a problem that's going to need to be addressed, it's going to have a value associated with it. And we'll probably be we're confident enough in that. Um, and Australia then is, uh, there's a lot of similarities between Australia and Ireland. In some ways, it's a few years behind. In other ways, it's way years ahead, right, in terms of their approach. So uh, in different regards. But a, a challenge with um so let's say in, in Ireland, right, we've got large wind farms. If there's too much wind energy on the system, um, AirGrid is able to, and Sony in the north of Ireland are able to send remote signals to the wind farms to tell them to cool, to, to cool it off, right, and to, 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 to curtail a little bit. In Australia, a big problem that they face is that a huge amount of their renewable energy is rooftop solar on homes that isn't controllable. And uh, that means then that the system, that the power system can find itself actually getting very, very unstable. And they don't have that lever to pull it back, right? So then they're just, it's kind of um, at the on the edge of your seat uh, trying to control a power system down there. So uh, what they need then is they need other systems such as, let's say, demand response and battery systems, et cetera, to help to provide support to the power system because uh, conventional power plants, right, a big thermal power stations, thermal power stations actually provide a lot of, um, a lot of, um, it's called inertia, right? So this basically like, uh, it's a support to the power grid, which is uh, the way I always think about it is, uh, just to describe this now, not to bore you to tears, but the, I always find this interesting. So um, 
again, we were talking about the grid being like a seesaw, right? Now, yeah. if you imagine a seesaw that's on like a, a perfectly pointy point in the middle, the fulcrum is a perfect point. Um, if you put as much as a pebble on one side, it just goes dunk. It, it, any any difference just goes dunk, and that's what happens, right? So, um, if you have conventional power stations, right, they don't like going speeding up or slowing down too quickly. It's thousands of tons of spinning metal, right? It's it's you know it doesn't yeah. it's like it's like a spinning top, right? Um, so that's like your seesaw, but under the power stations on this side, it's like having a spring. Right. So, it, uh, you know, that if there's a shift, it actually kind of like slows down the changes on the grid. So if you actually start taking off power stations and adding wind energy or solar energy, it doesn't have that same spring effect. So what it is, is you're kind of getting more towards that tetchy grid. And the same as with a seesaw, if it goes too far, everything just falls off. Um, so uh, what you have to do is when you when you lose the power stations that are giving you this inertia, giving you the spring effect, you have to find other ways to, to to kind of introduce it. So what you do is you use the likes of batteries or demand response, which are basically saying, okay, we can afford it to actually shift quickly because we have mechanisms that will shift it back the other way super quickly as well. And that's that's so that's what's needed. So as Australia goes very highly renewable as it is, it needs to get, and so it means if you're using 100% renewables, you don't have any room for conventional plants. They're just all off at the time um, and as you approach that even if you have like 80% renewables and only 20% conventional plants you're very little springiness so you, what you need to do is you need to uh, to get to that point of using that much renewables you need to have compensated for the loss of that effect by either let's say batteries or demand response like what we do it's so interesting because it never really comes up when you so that was uh, a really clear way of explaining how the, the kind of system works and it seems like when people on the on the news or people you know, politicians and stuff talk about renewable, renewable. They never say and demand response to make sure, and the infrastructure to make sure that it's yeah something that can it can work. It's like we're going to get this much kilowatt hours or mega, mega what's out of um, out of uh, renewables. But sure, if there's no, the, I mean, that has to be part of the plan, obviously, to make it work because no one wants yeah, to yeah. it's turning off every ten minutes or you know. No, you need to put all this kind of like scaffold around us. So I suppose our our view is that. Because as, as you bring more wind onto the grid, so you know the way earlier on I was telling you about um, how power stations bid to operate in this wholesale market, right? And basically, depending on now, uh, there's a there's, there is a rule around that is that you're not allowed to just build it bid in a random number. You have to actually bid in what it costs you to operate, and uh, so that means then let's say so, Luke, if you if you bid in at at a hundred euros a megawatt hour, I've bid in at one hundred and ten, and Mark is in at one hundred and twenty, right? At a certain point, Luke, you're satisfying the system and the, the price in the grid is 100 euros a megawatt hour. And then next thing, it, the, power, the power requirement goes up and they call me on and now go, the price that's set goes to 110. Now you're delighted because you're now making 10 euros margin. You were setting the price before, but now you're making a margin and I'm the guy who's just setting the price. I'm not making anything. And next thing then we need Mark to come on. So Mark's the guy who's making no profits, but he's given, he's given me 10 and now you're getting 20 because he set the price. Um, but... What happens is that uh, what's the price of wind? Zero. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the more wind you bring on, it causes the the price in the market to to, to reduce. So because you're effectively that you're not going to the 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 Luke's Paddies and Marks to set the price, right? There's wind here that's that's satisfying a huge amount of the requirement. So it reduces the price in the electricity market, um, and that's a key benefit, obviously, to 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 everybody to Ireland, Inc. and uh, but the cost of, of the support mechanisms goes up, um, right? So the more wind you use, it drives down the price of energy, yep. but it increases the price of the cost of ancillary services, i.e. the services that are needed to actually to be the support, the, 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 the scaffolds in the system to keep, it, to keep it operating. So I suppose that's where, you know, or where, where we target as a company is we're targeting, we target markets where, that's the value shift that's happening because we can say that if you're going highly renewable, you're going to see this shift in value in the market away from energy towards the support services that are what are called ancillary services. So that's where we tackle. And that's and that's the, that dictates the company, the countries that we also go to. They have to have that type of um, uh, dynamic setup where they're moving into those and those uh, renewable energies and that's driving down the cost of the, the per unit per kilowatt hour yeah and then but also it go it drives up the price of the ancillary services because the i guess the risk goes up then 
Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, as we all know, there's the the shift that's happening, whether it's happening in the next ten years or twenty years, is towards renewable stuff. Um, how's just out of interest and like Mark? Sometimes we do this. Though we were, if we just got somebody who knows a lot about something, we'll just throw in some kind of random uh, stuff. But how's Ireland doing renewable wise? Are we are we doing all right? Are we really dragging? good? No, really good. Um, so like we're was at the moment getting around 40% of our electricity from renewables, um, which is particularly good because we're an island. Um, we're an island nation, and that's coming from wind, and uh, wind, actually, really wind. So there are countries that have higher higher levels of renewables, but they, it's, it's hydro. And hydro is different because it's actually, hydro kind of works the same as a t- normal power station, right? It has that inertia. It has that spring effect. It has all the good stuff. If you've got a big dam, it's hugely controllable, you know, and everything. And so it's, 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 you can actually really decide your output of it and everything. So hydro is is a gift if you have it, if you have it, if, and it's accessible. And I guess in Iceland, then they also have geothermal. But that isn't a kind of a, a global solution. So we can't magic hydro um, into existence and uh, to the resources that to the extent that they have. Um, so in terms of so what we call non-synchronous um, uh, renewable energy, like your wind and your solar and those types, Ireland is doing Ireland is doing notably well, and it's definitely hitting first. You know, in terms of like the level at which it's, it'll it'll operate the power system at instant, at an instantaneous level. Because if you want to get up to a forty percent, right, um, on average, you have to be able to run it. You know, when it's high, you have to let it go up to high numbers, you know, so um, like so you can't let it, we, you know, it was previously that because of that need for a conventional plant to keep the system stable, that they'd only ever let it go up to 50%. So if, if, if the wind was going above 50%, they just cut it off, right? Yeah. And then they brought it up to 60%. And now they're doing tests they're running it at 75%. So basically they're saying that, okay, we can actually run the system with just 25% from conventional plant, keep a, supporting some of the stability because we've got other mechanisms like demand response and like batteries that are actually supporting providing other stability that allows us then to bring up the wind um, and reduce the amount of conventional plant online so i know ireland is ireland is doing really well and i guess what we have found in our travels is that uh, the, the electricity system operator here airgrid um is really looked upon globally as an exemplar in in the in the embracing of of innovative solutions to help to solve the challenges associated with with bringing on renewable energy, and that's really good because, um, like we work closely with AirGrid, like um, and uh, you know, I think one thing in 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 our company is that when we're saying something, we're saying it because we feel it's for the betterment of the system, not because we we're trying to just like, you know, we have this and we're trying to flog us right. Yeah. We are trying to definitely geared towards the system and if what we're selling isn't in the same direction as what's better for the system we're just selling we're selling the wrong thing right um so i guess we would have built up a good relationship almost like engineer to engineer dialogue with with airgrid and that over the years and conducted some trials of technologies with them and stuff like that and uh you know i'd I'd certainly like to think that we're well gotten by them and they're certainly well gotten by us and uh and that's done so then when we go abroad because it's kind of like by association. So AirGrid, it's kind of like you're hanging out with the cool kid, right? Um, so AirGrid are held in high regard. Yeah. And we have a, a good relationship with AirGrid. So by association, and, um, uh, they want to hear what we have to say. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, you'd, be, you'd be amazed at how favorably Ireland has looked upon. I love that because, like, I think sometimes we don't take uh, you know, take credit for how well we do in some stuff. You know, we're, no. we're very self-deprecating in, in uh, a lot of ways. But uh, that's great to hear. It, is there so we're we're good on wind we're good on uh the hydro that we have where we're doing well there i guess but well we only have like very little hydro it's actually near us here in ireland russia it's it's used to supply all of ireland and now it's like one percent so we don't have a whole lot of hydro we have lots of wind what's this do you know is there anything we can like the wave stuff did that ever really take off i remember like when i was in college like 10 years ago uh, some guy came in he was talking about waves and he was saying it's gonna because Ireland has all this kind of rough currents and tides yeah. in the west. And is that like, is it, has it been disappointing that that didn't take off, or is it just never going to be a, a, a starter? Yeah, you'd love to see it. You'd love to see the nut cracked. And we've seen a lot of, we've certainly seen a lot of technologies being trialed and to varying degrees of success in different parts of the world. But it's just a massively a, a hostile environment. I don't know if you guys are hang out in the water much, but. 
you know, um, I remember being on like, like a calm day. I was out diving um, off uh, the West Coast in Kilkee. And this was a calm day. And I was sitting on a, in, a, in, a, in a rib that I think was about two ton or two and a half ton. It was a big rib. And it was being moved up and down by this calm wave. And I was just thinking, could you imagine the manpower? Could you imagine the team of people I'd have to put around that in, the par- in a car park if I wanted to try to lift it up and down like this, yeah. right? So the amount of energy that's been exercised on it, and that was on a lovely calm day. Could you imagine being out in the brutal forces of a storm and kind of equate that back to you know, that energy that's been thrust upon it. So it's very hostile for these pieces, this equipment to actually survive. But um, we do have great, there is great uh, ocean energy resource there if we can, if we can capture it um, but I think you know a key change we're going to see over the next decade is we're going to see um, a lot of wind farms being built off, off offshore and that's where the real kind of a big movement is because uh, with wind you know I, I, like I explained a key challenge with wind to you in terms of that problem with inertia right and that's the thing that nobody gets but it's actually one of the key hardest keys to unlock um, whereas what everyone talks about is, oh, well, you know, it's not always windy. And yeah. it's like, well, you know, we know that. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, a, that's a, and we have to, we have to deal with that. Um, but we can plan around that. Um, but the one thing is that as we're solving some of the other challenges that are now bringing that question actually to the fore is the question we need to deal with. Um, you need to start looking at moving offshore because you have much more consistent wind um, and, uh uh, now it's not perfectly consistent, uh, but it is a lot more consistent than than we'd have here. It's a, unsure. It's a, it's an amazing thing. Like obviously we got a lot, of wave, a lot of waves, but we actually have a lot of a lot of wind here as well. I remember when we moved to Vancouver for a few years, we were shocked by how it was never windy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Then, yeah. Than, geez, some some days we'd be blown away waiting for a, a bus somewhere. It's a it's a, a very normal thing. Um, but whatever way it was in that city, there was we're not a breath of wind any ever. Like it's such a strange thing, you know. Did you guys, did you guys ever hear the concept of the energy slave? No, yes. but it's no. That might be the name of this podcast. Yeah, we usually throw a name, and I think the energy the energy slave. Yeah, the energy slave. So what's what's, so, uh, what's going on there? So, so the energy slave, I think, is a really kind of cool way of trying to uh, to quantify your you know your energy that you use, right? Because like if you think about it, right? So if you go back like pre-industrial revolution. Um, there's a whole kind of point that material doesn't cost money, right? So gold actually doesn't, the, the, the ground doesn't charge you anything to actually, for the gold you extract out of it. What costs money is uh, people's time and people taking risk. Those are kind of two of the key things, right? So you have, you know, you're paying for the people to extract the gold and then you're paying for somebody to take risk on buying it and trading it, etc. And that's kind of what, what the cost of it is. The material costs nothing, it's all people. Um, so like, you know, you had, person mining and they are a, 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 it's like I think it's a a strong man uh, uh, working is 80 watts of energy right so that's you know you know if you've been on a bike in the gym and you see like 80 you know whatever yeah. watts right uh, so apparently strong man working equals 80 watts of energy so basically you had somebody mining 80 watts of energy and then they realize I can actually get a machine and add diesel into this and then it'll supplement my work and it's like, you know, um, eight, uh, it's like um, 80,000 watts or 8,000 watts of energy, you know, really now. And I'm, but I'm getting it from the fuel. The fuel's giving me that energy. So that's, the, so, what it, so that's where you can equate like the work that's been done. So if you look at the energy that we each consume, right, um, in terms of, you know, uh, the stuff that you buy that has embodied energy in it and the lights that are on in the studio there and obviously our internet connections here, your average person with your energy consumption has the equivalent of 70 slaves working for them 24 hours a day. So basically the energy you consume is the same as 70 strong men working for you 24 hours a day in terms of bringing the energies that's, that, that's been delivered there. And... Uh, in the States, it's like twice that, right? I think it's something like close on 140 slaves. And there's, part, there's places then where it's very small numbers. And um, uh, I, I was, uh, so when people complain about the cost of electricity, um, it's like uh, a unit of electricity. I, I think a unit of electricity is going to be um, 
12 man hours of work, it costs maybe 18 cent. It costs you 12, 18 cent. But if you were to pay minimum wage for those somebody to do those 12 hours of, of man hours that you're getting for that unit, it'll cost a lot more. So I was, I was driving down to, to Killarney a few weeks ago and I was driving an electric car and I was looking at the watts, uh, uh, watt hours per kilometre. And it was the same as having 330 men working for me to get me down there. Uh, so it cost me 10 euros in electricity, whereas it would have cost me uh, seven and a half grand if I paid them minimum wage. Um, so that's just the kind of a putting it in perspective in terms of uh, the energy we use if you bring it back back to the, the raw labor that actually what used to happen pre, pre-industrial revolution. It's amazing. When you put it into perspective like that, really it's amazing to see kind of what we get for, cause, you know, we take a lot of this for granted, we turn it on mm. and then even... Like, you know, you get your, your bill every three months or whatever, and you're like, oh, you know, it is what it is. But what you get for that is every, all of your entertainment, all of, for me, all of my work uh, is electronic, you know, um, yeah. all my communicate communications with people. Um, so it's a, a small price to pay. But in, in the kind of world where we're heading now, where, you know, they kind of uh, reduce uh, kind of movement around electricity and trying to your carbon footprint and all is that all going away then if you're if we're building uh such a, a kind of green future is it okay to just keep those lights on and are we just no well i suppose <laughs> the whole thing is right we can and actually i'm seeing this an awful lot in terms of there's a kind of a perception out there that uh we're greening electricity um so it must be infinite and it's not. So let's, if we have a target in terms of, there's a target in terms of how much green energy, you know, the percentage of green energy we need to have for 2030. There's only so many wind turbines can be deployed, solar deployed, etc. So as that target keeps moving, you know, the, the target that you're trying to get a percentage of keeps moving, it becomes an unachievable, um, uh, unachievable goal. So, uh, you know, but I think more and more people are actually thinking of energy, thinking of it as being infinite, even in terms of like, you know, uh, you know, I like, and I, I'm guilty of this myself. If I want something, um, and, and I can afford it, I think nothing of going on Amazon and just going, "Boop, yeah, I want that. I'm going to get it." You know, and so, like, you know, when you kind of go back in terms of like what it took to make that, and this, you know, all the materials it took and everything, that you're kind of like taking a little bit out of Mother Earth and putting it in that, right? And it's not for somebody else now; it's for you. And uh, that's um, and. I, I, I definitely find myself having to really kind of because um, I'm here talking to you for for an hour here about yeah. about about energy and all things energy. I don't go around my day talking like this. Like I don't go into the shop like or, you know, that's not how I live. Like I'm the same as everyone else, um, and I should know better. Actually, I think in a lot of circumstances, um, but you know, I do find myself just going on just gee, buying stuff without a second thought, yeah. and uh, and I really need to pull back and go, you know this stuff isn't infinite. Like, you know, we need to actually just think about the resources we consume as well. And the Amazon stuff that comes and it's triple wrapped and it's got like all this, all the car- yeah. giant cardboard box like, for a little book or something. And yeah, I, feel, I, I feel like a pig, you know, like when it goes, uh, buy now. I always feel like a slob hitting that. Kind of I know, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Buy now. But like, it honestly, hasn't Santa, uh, sorry, hasn't the postman turned into adult Santa? Like, you know, yeah. and because you need, like, I know that's like, I'm looking out here at my driveway here and, um, uh, at the window in the office. I know when I see him coming and it's that box that I've been waiting for. Yeah. It's, Your dopamine yeah. hit. Yeah, it really yeah. is. It's, it's even a, even when you, you know you haven't bought it and you see D, DHL or something drive by, you're just like, yeah, I know. <laughs> could or, be for yeah. me. Or if my wife yeah, gets it, I'm like, what, I, what could this could be? What's this? You know, I'll, I'll stand around watching her open it. This is how sad the, the COVID life is. I know, like. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've become like the... Uh, yeah, what would it be the the package gatherer for my wife? Like, because her office is upstairs, so she doesn't come down when the uh, when DHL arrives. Uh, what's worse is a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the places that um, people are are, uh, are getting these from are, are uh, you know it's it's free to ship it back, so they just they'll order yeah. loads of stuff all packaging, yeah, and then you just go you send it right back, and so it's doubling it up, you know. Um, I know, yeah, so and uh, so I could be on a call during the day, and I I always when I'm working here, I have my two dogs in the office with me. And uh, they go ape when, uh, and they're reasonably big dogs. They go ape. Uh, so um, it's happened to me once when I was actually like speaking at a, a, a seminar, and they were all quiet and it was fine, and it was my time to speak. Like it was only I was only speaking for maybe 10, 15 minutes of the whole thing, and the dogs went ape during it, and then one of them was quite excited, so he put his paws up here on the chair, and you know I didn't want to be like. Um, 
you know that guy do you remember that guy on sky on yeah. bbc yeah. news <laughs> who's his kids coming in he's yeah. like pushing away right i didn't want to be like that guy with my dog right um so my dog is here and it looks like i've got like this siamese dog head siamese twin dog head on my shoulder <laughs> trying to talk because i didn't want to kind of uh be too aggressive and nudging him away yeah. i think it's, a, it's been interesting times out of, out of interest i know we're kind of cutting out fine on time here but um as a person who owns a company runs a company um, have you found it less, more or less efficient working? You know, for for me, I'm a basically I run my own little um, part of the business and and HubSpot. I'm pretty independent. I just check in every month, type of thing, um, with my with my kind of management team. But uh, for you, for actually managing a business, has it been uh, good or bad? Are you getting a lot more done because you're you can focus or what's just out of interest? How does how's that worked out for you? Yeah, no, it's been it's been. It's been a real improvement. It's um, on on a number of fronts. So first of all, I suppose on the front of of general working, um, I didn't have much of a commute anyway. But it's um, it it definitely. I know we've all gotten we've gotten inundated with like video calls and and um, and recurring calls and stuff like that, which was which is kind of challenging. And we've tried now to kind of remove some of those. Um, but o- overall. Um, the the time between those where I can actually focus is fantastic and not kind of getting caught for chats here and there and stuff like that. Uh, but then you have to build in the sociability as well. I see, like HR in our company have been fantastic at actually building in um, opportunities for teams to get together either virtually or or through team building exercises and that. And that's really that's been really important. But overall. Uh, like and the feedback they're getting is uh, from the team is that they find themselves more productive, a general improvement in work-life balance, even, and um, and from my point of view as well, like I suppose there's a lot of people out there who go, oh, you have work and you have life, and never the twain shall meet, right? Um, but work is such an is such a big part of life that if you don't enjoy it, and you, I, for me, I want to embrace it as part of life. Like I want there to be, you know, that gradient in between. Um, um, because it's all part of it. And I, I, like, I love what I do. Um, I really am excited to work with my team every day. Like, I have such a create, like, such a smart, creative, um, capable team that don't take themselves too, too seriously. But like, they're just astonished people, really. Um, that like, I, mean, I get to like come up with come up with ideas. I was nearly said good ideas there, but that's for somebody else to judge. Um, and um, but and most of them would certainly say that they aren't. Um, but like I get to go go to the team, and we all actually collectively chip in, and 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 people are empowered to make bold decisions, and we'll back them, you know. And uh, so it actually kind of rele- releases an awful lot of the same endorphins as you got when you're out with your friends playing as a kid, right? And you saw the bigger tree than you've ever climbed before, right? And you're like, oh, you can do this, and then you do it, and you make it happen. You have a sense of achievement, and it's like it's like that. And like you know, the feedback that we get from the team is that they feel a real sense of purpose about what they're doing and and it, it really contributes to their happiness and that's great to see and I, I definitely I think people are really embracing and, and thriving off the working from home but for me as an addition um, I have a 14 month uh, girl, a little girl Annabelle and uh, so she was born in September of, of, of kind of the initial wave of lockdowns and um, the opportunity to be at home and even like just to get that two minutes here or there yeah like uh, to go out to see Deborah and Annabelle during the day has been oh like that's just what a what a brilliant um, a uh, enhancement in life and now we've got twins on the way oh. um, in in the new year and uh, so like just to be kind of to be around for that like I'm in working for the day but you know you'll always get the minute or two here and there to just see see them and recharge how uh, can I ask like so you found it good like Luke and 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 Mark how's it working for you. Yeah, so there's in my company, so we're finance recruitment, uh, my company. So there's six permanent staff and then two remote staff in, in the UK. So we were thinking, you know, we, we want people to feel like part of a team and, you know, culture and stuff like that. So we want people to be in an office to an extent, maybe that hybrid week, just to feel like they're part of something. But then mm-hmm. when we actually went back, because we were always in an office and we actually went back, everybody was so, like the first day we got nothing done. Well, first of all, everybody was just having the crack and we all got on really well and, and we're all talking. And then we're on the phone. Then I'm like, I can't hear on, on the phone because you are all talking. But we used to do that. I'm so used to being in my you know, box room office. No noise. I'm so productive. And everybody felt like and in recruitment, obviously, it's, you know, productivity is very, very important. Um, so it was kind of like, geez, I don't know. 
everybody just doesn't want to go back. So I'm in now. I did three days at home now, now and I'm going to do two in the office because we have a new joiner. But it's like we wanted people to feel and, and the companies that we work with, you know, they're asking me the same questions. You know, we want people client, uh, like employee retention rates or they assume are going to go retention rates, assume are going to go down because people are just going to start six months on a computer. They don't feel like part of it. And they're, they're going to go. So they're like, OK, we want them in that hybrid week just so they feel like part of a company. But then when you actually ask the majority of and I deal with hundreds of candidates a day, all qualified accountants, what do they want? They they generally don't want the office thing. So it's like the company wants them to feel part of something by being in an office, but then they'll they'll actually leave if you don't let them work from home. Yeah. So it's a weird kind of thing at the moment. So generally for me as a, as a, as an entrepreneur, as a, a business owner, I think it's way more pros than, than cons. Um, we've done really well last year in the last year. So, Right. And yeah. and with those candidates that you're talking about, um, mm. are they reasonably experienced or are they graduates or what are they? There, I find, yeah, this, and I'm going to write a blog on this because we do a kind of qualified accountants upwards. So that's three and a half years. Generally, you do your training. Yeah. Like I trained as an accountant myself in Deloitte. And so anywhere from that level to, to partners, CFO kind of level as well. So I find the the bottom level as in the most junior need to i feel definitely need to be in the office to keep learning from people whether that's mm-hmm. by osmosis or, or whatever and then the senior people probably need to be in the office because of the importance of of their role you know um yeah. to show you know to to show presence there but it's that middle ground that definitely are a lot more uh flexible like the, flexible and I was talking to my um, Colin, uh, Colin Fitzpatrick. He's the head of the electronic engineering department in UL. He was my PhD supervisor back in the day. And he was saying that the students now, because they've um, uh, had uh, remote learning, they want office-based. And they're like, you know, done with this. Get us into an office. We want an office. Um, so, But can you imagine your whole career just being from, from your house? You know, I'd say that as much as it was tough in the office, you know, training as an accountant. The best thing about it was going, you know, down to Harcourt Street after, you know, three days a week. Yeah. You know, that That's was a huge loss to people's like social mm-hmm. development and, and yeah. that. Like, because they're real for their formative years. Because I could see, it, like, uh, it, it is serious crack, but it builds character, it builds your your ability to make small talk, you, you yeah. know, all of yeah. this stuff. Your that network real, as well. Your network, probably, your social like, skills. You know, my clients now are all my peer group that I I would have trained with a yeah. hundred accountants. You know, they're a lot of my clients now. How does that work in in you know in in ten years time for them when they're it's it's a strange one though. Uh, who knows the answer? But no, the market doesn't it's, lie. It's equilibrium. Yeah, the market yeah, doesn't lie. The market yeah. doesn't lie. And I keep saying that to people. The market doesn't lie. And people want these companies a bit old school. Maybe you know PLCs and stuff. They'd be like, oh, we want everybody back in the office. And I said, yeah, well, you can want that, but it's not what you want. It's yeah. what the market yeah. wants, you know. They'll be working remotely for someone else. It's exactly. HubSpot yeah. have really um, kind of embraced it as well. So they've expanded uh, my, the company I work for into different countries in Europe, but they're opening virtual offices in those, in those countries. So they're saying you can work from home exclusively from there. But like, if you look at that that experience where you do the onboarding, they send you a laptop, and the experience that I had where I was sent to Boston for three weeks with uh, 20 uh, people, you know who I'm still really good friends with because we were living in the hotel together and going out and um, we we're all done, put on projects together to kind of get going. Um, it was like we we came back, we'd really drank the Kool Aid at that stage. Do you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, very few people have left out of that group. Um, so I, I mean, it, it's going to be different if you're in Zaragoza and you get your FedEx laptop. So there you go. Like you know, I think it's going to be a different uh, experience, but. Um, it is interesting, and Marks, you guys really th- thrive through the whole thing. So it's um, yeah, like w- one of the lads was able to 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 buy a house where he was from, you know, or where his other half was from in in the Midlands, as opposed to paying the mad rent in in Dublin, you know. So there's, I think, the housing thing and and rent and all that that that's a big positive that's come out of it. People, you know, they don't have to live in Dublin if they don't want to anymore, or at least yeah. they can travel up, you know, a day or two. And I'm dealing with that constantly every day, you know. It's, you know what's a remote policy like because i'll work for that company if you let me work three days from you know westmead 
Yeah, and that that is a huge enhancement to people's lives, and like you have to, like. But, but I think like before we went remote working, in the company we always very much have the view that people's lives are the most important thing to them, right? And if you ignore that, you're ignoring the obvious, and it's and and you're the one who's doomed because uh, it's a it's it's a practical obvious, right? And um, so. Look, we, we had always tried to be as flexible as possible. And uh, kind of the way we'd have always described it is if by you coming in from nine to five, you'd get X done and your team would get Y done. Uh, as long as X and Y get done, it's up to you. Like if, there's, if, if you wake up on the coast in the morning and there's good surf and that's what you want to do and it's not going to impact anybody by you coming in late, knock yourself out. Like, you know, if, if you would appreciate a courteous text to let us know that not to expect you for a while, but that's, but that's about it. And, and to kind of, and like, like, you know, that wasn't, it just makes practical sense. And we also, I suppose, it's very, um, uh, we're keen to also in, in invest in people and invest in training. But like, how do you know what path people want to be on? Because I might assume that everyone wants to go towards true managerial roles and stuff like this. And that's the worst nightmare for some people. Like, you know, it's in the same way as I have a niece who's spending, um, uh, doing transition year on the Iron Islands and she is and absolutely so happy to be spending the year in on the Iron Islands speaking Irish and that would be my worst nightmare <laughs> um, so uh, she, uh, but she loves it but in the same way as like, in terms of the route that people want to take so what we do is we um, we try to encourage people with self-directed learning so um, look it's kind of like look um, I always draw this air Venn diagram people are going to be sick of me with this right so it's just kind of like that there's a circle of things that make you super happy. You can't wait to get out of bed in the morning to get at it. It's evening. You just can't drag yourself away from it. And then there's a circle of things that just make us better as a business. And you need to find the basic, the, the overlap between those two. And when somebody starts, inevitably, they're kind of going to be a little bit either side of it, doing something that they love that isn't great for us, or doing something that's great for us that they don't love. And we really want to help people find that. And it might be quite a segue beyond even what their original job description was or whatever. But if you hit that criteria, isn't, aren't you doing it? You're delivering for us and you're happy. Uh, so what we do is we give everybody a, um, a, a training budget like the, you know it's here you have, have 3,000 euros a year and 10 working days to figure out what it is to, to, to find the, the training that helps to get you to that posi- to, to that place you know uh, or, or look we can go beyond that if, if that's what's needed and you know I think people respond well to actually being given the given the having the ability to, to redirect their own future in terms of what it is that they want to do, provided that they get some level of guidance and hints and tips as to what might be valuable to us. Hundred percent. I think that's that's a big thing as well. People want a bit of diversity in what they do as well, or they want to. I don't know. They, do, I think you you kind of hit on it earlier on, uh, Paddy, when you're talking about people. I think that there's something bigger than themselves that they're working on. Um, like I mean, I, I've worked in. I, I worked for a financial institu- institution in Dublin um, for a couple of years after college, and like, you know we had a great social life because uh, everyone was the same age coming in they hired whatever ex, i don't know like 100 people from college so we had a great social life and stuff like that but we didn't really care um after work it was it was it was not something that i was trying to drag ourselves away from and you know um having something uh that you're building i love to build things that's my so like if you look at my uh, my career it's always like internally in company just even if it's not the that the kind of path to you know a junior manager senior manager you know it's very much like if there's a a pilot somewhere i'm like kiss a go of that you know class see, yeah. see what we can do um so that's what i like to do but um i think that as we kind of evolve i think it's going the right direction like you said i have a, a little boy as well he has his birthday today his name is seamus um he's one oh. today um, you might have heard of screaming at the beginning of this. <laughs> I was at to bring down the uh, my levels here because uh, he was going to bed. Um, but being able to, like, that was worth a million euro to me, being able to uh, go down and see him throughout the day yeah. uh, during, uh, at lunchtime, going for a walk, you know, after work at, like, five instead of, I used to get back, I don't know, it'd be, like, half seven, eight o'clock sometimes. Um, and he would have been in bed at that stage, you know? Um, so it's been an amazing year, and I think that, like my own father never got that time, you know. He was on the road and joking away. Um, so yeah, it's no. a real blessing that. Sure, way. I did. I didn't get that time. Sure, mine, mine are nine and seven. Like for, for the last eight years or whatever, I, I was gone at 
half six in the morning if I wanted to go to the gym and then I was back at seven and that was essentially working nine to five. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they our, were... All our kids are going to be sick of us um, by, the time, <laughs> by the time they go around. But uh, we do, I know I want to respectfully your time, Paddy, as well and uh, I really enjoyed the conversation we have. We do have one more question for you before you, you, you head off there. Um, would you prefer a shark pod t-shirt or a mug? A mug all the way. Mug, okay. Mark, Mark actually has some... Uh, mug specialties as well so we'll get that out to you as soon as we can um, so thanks very much for joining us it's been really interesting love talking about energy on the podcast guys if you're listening we're going to be uh, reaching out to a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and a lot of people that are trying to change the world uh, for the better when it comes to energy and that type of thing actually you know I said that was going to be the last question quick the quickest quickest answer you can think of uh, Paddy say if you you know someone came in bought you out made you a very you know a, you know generational wealth you've got whatever you need what one uh kind of green technology would you uh would you bet on if you were investing uh hydrogen hydrogen okay so now uh, we're gonna have to go down the rabbit hole on hydrogen after this uh, me and mark are gonna stay on the line uh but patty thanks so much and uh we'll get that cup or get that mug out to you uh asa thanks, thanks so many guys great chatting to you